Success Movie Rewind. We're looking at movies through a personal development lens, seeing what we can learn. Here's your host, Alex Stevens. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Success Movie Rewind. I'm your host, Alex Stevens. Folks, you know what we do on this podcast. We pick a modern-day classic or a, a new blockbuster, and we watch it with a, or through a personal development lens. We pick three success movie mementos, three talking points to guide our personal development discussion, using this film as a, a springboard or a touching point or a, a jumping-off point. Really, it's a loose format, but it, it lets us, you know, just extract what we need that week from whatever film we're watching but with a film like the social network it always is a little bittersweet because there's so much we could talk about you could really do a podcast about the social network for at least a year and just talk about little lines of dialogue and how packed with meaning they are uh, and that's because Aaron Sorkin's the, he's the king. He's, he wrote A Few Good Men. He wrote the line, you can't handle the truth, you know? So I, I know as I start out this episode, if you like the movie, The Social Network, odds are your favorite quote isn't going to be in our clips because I didn't really grab the one-liners. And also just, there's too many. Statistically, I'm not going to, I can't hit them all. I'm going to hit a lot of them. But what I wanted to do was really get to the the heart of the movie or a central thread of the movie and in doing so explore an idea that has just been so captivating, not just for me, but for many, many people, uh, movers and shakers in the business world, uh, intellectuals writing about productivity and psychology and human behavior and uh, everything in between. Uh, I'm referring to the concept of mimetic desire m-i-m-e-t-i-c mimetic desire if you've encountered this concept you may be wondering why is everyone talking about this so much which is a clue to the nature of mimetic desire but you may not be familiar with it yet but i assure you that you've been affected by it in fact i'm confident you have because you're listening to this podcast about the facebook movie and the key early angel investor in Facebook, as depicted in this movie, is a guy named Peter Thiel, or Thiel, who founded PayPal and has really just been all over the place ever since. Uh, He's a really interesting guy. I don't agree with him on everything, but his book Zero to One is really a fascinating look into his philosophy about business and investing and life. Uh, And as an attorney who is exploring alternate paths in life, I can relate to him because he went to Stanford Law School uh, and was a a very elite lawyer. And the quote of his, this Aaron Sorkin could have written this one, uh, that would ring out in my mind in the office uh, when I was just like, you know, being like, I got to figure out what I'm going to do. I don't think it's this for the rest of my life. And Peter Thiel's words would ring in my head because he said when he was a junior associate and he quit his job, he was like, no one ever really talks about it. You can just get up and walk out, you know? Uh, and it, that, that's like a, a wildly privileged position. Um, but if you're working in a big law firm you, you, with some responsible financial planning, you can get yourself in a position to where you can walk out uh, for a while at least. Um 
you know, I, I think Peter Thiel so far, <laughs> you know, I'm, I haven't made any angel investments in Facebook. So I think he's uh, superior uh, to me in that regard and to many others, I'm sure. And that also is an illustration of kind of uh, the power of mimetic desire, as we'll get into. But the reason I bring him up now is even in that book, Zero to One, you know, uh, he doesn't explicitly talk about the main philosopher of mimetic desire, a guy named Rene Girard, uh, who's an interesting guy, uh, a philosopher at Stanford uh, that taught Peter Thiel. And uh, we're going to talk all about that. This is such an interesting idea. There's a new book out called Wanting the Power of Mimetic Desire in Everyday Life by a guy named Luke Burgess, B-U-R-G-I-S. Uh, and so that's where I, I got this tidbit. He interviewed Peter Thiel and he was like, why didn't you talk about Rene Girard in Zero to One? Uh, since Peter Thiel has famously said his bet on Facebook was a bet on this concept of mimetic desire. And he told Luke Burgess, I don't think people are ready for Girard like that. Like you can't really give it to him direct. It's too powerful. The mind reels at this concept because it's like you're, you're face to face with what you thought you were and you realize there's more to you but less. In a anyway, I'm paraphrasing and adding my own ideas here, but my point is that's the power of this idea. Uh, but I think we can handle it on Success Movie Rewind, so let's get into it. And before I go into more detail about the concept of mimetic desire, I want to play our first clip. This is the first clip of the movie. So this is Mark Zuckerberg with his girlfriend Erica at a bar in Boston. She goes to BU, he goes to Harvard, and he's just a pool of insecurity. He doesn't know what he wants, but he knows he wants to be somebody. Why is that? That's very human. Mark Zuckerberg, as depicted in this movie, and I have no idea how realistic this is. I haven't even seen his testimony videos. You know, I just, it's missed my social media bubble, you know, so I guess uh, social media is not all bad. But as depicted in this movie, he really is just like such a good starting point for our discussion. So without further ado, let's look at our first success movie memento, which is that mimetic desire is a two-way mirror. Okay, and let's listen to our first clip. You're obsessed with finals clubs. You have finals clubs OCD and you need to see someone about it who will prescribe you some sort of medication. You don't care if the side effects may include blindness. Final clubs, not finals clubs. And there's a difference between being obsessed and being motivated. Yes, there is. Well, you do. That was cryptic, so you do speak in code. I didn't mean to be cryptic. I'm just saying I need to do something substantial in order to get the attention of the clubs. Why? Because they're exclusive and fun, and they lead to a better life. Teddy Roosevelt didn't get elected president because he was a member of the Phoenix Club. He was a member of the Porcellian, and yes, he did. Well, why don't you just concentrate on being the best you you can be? Did you really just say that? I was kidding. Although, just because something's trite doesn't make it any less I want to try true. to be straightforward with you and tell you that I think you might want to be a little more supportive. If I get in, I will be taking you to the events and the gatherings, and you'll be meeting a lot of people you wouldn't normally get to meet. You would do that for me? We're dating. Okay. Well, I want to try and be straightforward with you and let you know that we're not anymore. What do you mean? We're not dating anymore, I'm sorry. Is this a joke? No, it's not. You're breaking up with you me? You are going to introduce me to people I wouldn't normally have the chance to meet. What the f- What is that supposed to mean? Wait, settle down. What is it supposed to mean? Okay, so that clip has so much going on. Those are the first lines in the movie. 
And of course, you know, we know to look by now, long-term listeners, it's very important to, to look at the first lines of the movie. They'll often kind of teach you how to watch the movie. So I love the line here about, you know, you say one thing, you mean another. That's a, a great way to look at these lines of dialogue. What is going on below the surface? But it also sets up this concept of, of mimetic desire. So let's get into the brass tacks now. Mimetic desire, the word mimetic comes from the Greek word mimesis, which means like, uh, I'm not a Greek scholar, but it basically, you know, like the concept of a meme is also derived from this root. It means like a, a copy or an imitation, or it's come to mean that. And uh, another way of thinking of mimetic desire is it's imitative. It's imitative desire. It sounds smarter to say mimetic, but imitative is fine. And it basically gets to the fundamental truth that Rene Girard articulated, which, and it's terrifying, and it's that none of us know what we want. We have no idea from day one. We don't know what we want, and we're insecure about it. And so we look around us, we're imitative social creatures, and we see something somebody else has and we say, I want that. And that becomes our model of our desires. And all our basic biological drives for security, for connection, for success, for self-actualization get funneled through this fundamental error that we don't have what we need and someone else does. And that's the basis for hierarchies of dominance because it creates these one-on-one -on -one competitions. And so at a place like Harvard, it's really the human experience in such a concentrated form because everyone is excellent. And so how do you distinguish yourself if you don't feel like being yourself is enough because everyone is so excellent and there are guys who row crew and they're at the apex of a certain social hierarchy. You know, I didn't go to a college with crew, but the baseball players, you know, did were I could not play baseball. So if you were into baseball players, I'm just out. I'm not in that social world like that. At least, you know, I'm not in the place in the hierarchy where I want to be. And that's a, a pretty fundamental dilemma, you know, especially if you're a man, you don't have a romantic partner and you're hearing women in your life talk about their models of desire. And this is where I love Erica's dialogue talking about the guys who wrote crew. She hasn't actually seen one. But she, had, she hasn't seen a cowboy either, but, you know, the way a girl likes cowboys. We have these models of desire. And I really think there's something here with Silicon Valley in particular. There's a concept, there's an old book called The Yankee Cowboy War. And it kind of gets to this, you know, the Yankees of the establishment in the East Coast and the cowboys out West making the new rules. But in many ways, that's a, a, an attempt to break away from a hierarchy that you couldn't dominate so that you can overtake it in the big battle of, you know, social scenes and who has more clout, the East Coast finance types or the West Coast, you know, boy kings of Silicon Valley. But, you know, if it's if you don't know why you're doing it and you're just propelled by this desire to be somebody you're not, it doesn't really matter as long as you fit the model better than other people around you. 
it really sets you up for some problems because you never really run out of that road. And that's why that kind of desire is so fleeting because once you get it, it's like, ugh, I have this and anything I have can't be enough. So what else do I want? What else should I get? And then you start to get, like they say in the, in the dialogue, delusional and focused on you know, your discontent or the next thing and you never get to sit with yourself. And you miss what you're doing in the meantime. And if you're a critic of Facebook, you know, I don't have to tell you about the last 10 years. I actually don't want to tell you because I'm not an expert in it. I don't know, but I know they've been in the headlines. uh, And I think some of that was going on. So we're going to talk a little bit about Facebook's legacy, but not exactly, you know, with respect to those, the more political angles. It's just not my, my wheelhouse. But uh, this, I wanted to use this clip to just set up these basic concepts of an imitative desire to have status that someone else has because you don't know how to chart your own path. It's not comforting to note that we have that about us, but it's a human thing. And once we grapple with it, we can work uh, towards a better way of living and a way more in tune with our actual desires. So let's uh, just finish off this this scene in the bar uh, to really get to the the founding myth you know there's a great line that we haven't clipped for this this show but a character a lawyer in the film you know the the framing device of the film is litigation over the founding of Facebook and we'll talk about in particular the litigation against the between the co-founders Mark Zuckerberg uh, and Eduardo Saverin the co-founder Um, So we'll talk about all that, but really the key there is when you're chasing mimetic desire to be the best and to be the the top dog, uh, it it really does sort of make you very competitive and you've got to learn to turn that off. But if you don't know why you're doing what you're doing and you don't know what you're actually wanting, you know, then you may not do it until you've wreaked too much havoc, you know. And so that's why our first success movie, Memento, is that uh, mimetic desire is a two-way mirror because you use it, you know, you can kind of see, depending on how you're looking at it, you either see yourself or you see somebody else behind the mirror. And you really got to need, you've got to learn to see both. Uh, whenever you feel that desire in your heart, especially if it's for something somebody else has, you know, it's an ugly emotion to admit, but we all feel it and you've got to to name it so it doesn't take a hold of you. You've got to look right at that two-way mirror and try to see beyond it as well to see that dark shadow. Uh, So let's just to to conclude this discussion before we go on to our next uh, success movie memento, let's listen to another, you know, like I said, the concluding line of this bar scene and uh, we'll say a few more words about mimetic desire. Did you know there are more people with genius IQs living in China than there are people of any kind living in the United States? That can't possibly be true. It is. What would account for that? Well, first, an awful lot of people live in China, but here's my question. How do you distinguish yourself in a population of people who all got 1,600 on their SATs? I didn't know they take SATs in China. They don't. I wasn't talking about China anymore. I was talking about me. You got a 1,600? Yes. I could sing in an acapella group, but I can't sing. Does that sing. mean you actually got nothing I wrong? I could row crew or invent a $25 PC. Or you could get into a final club? Or I get into a final club. You know, from a woman's perspective, sometimes not singing in an acapella group is a good thing. This is serious. On the other hand, I do like guys who row crew. Well, I can't do that. I was kidding. Yes, I got nothing wrong with the test. Have you ever tried? I'm trying right now. To row crew? To get into a final club. To row crew? No, are you like 
whatever, delusional? Maybe it's just sometimes you say two things at once, I'm not sure which one I'm supposed to be aiming at. But you've seen guys who row crew, right? No. Okay, well, they're bigger than me. They're world-class athletes. And a second ago, you said you like guys who were crew, so I assumed you had met one. I guess I just meant I like the idea of it, you know, the way a girl likes cowboys. Okay. Should we get something to eat? Would you like to talk about something else? No. It's just since the beginning of the conversation about finals club, I think I may have missed a birthday. There are really more people in China with genius IQs than the entire The Phoenix is the most diverse. The Fly Club, Roosevelt punched the pork. Which one? The Porcellian, the pork, it's the best of the best. Which Roosevelt? Theodore. Is it true that they send a bus around to pick up girls who want to party with the next Fed chairman? So you can see why it's so important to get in. Okay, well, which is the easiest to get into? Why would you ask me that? I was just asking. So I, I just wanted to conclude the discussion with that clip because, again, the movie tells you right in the beginning what the solution is, and it knows that we're skeptical. It knows that we're cynical about advice like just be the best you you can be. But that really is the answer. You've got to figure out what you want, and I know what everybody wants is to be the best version of themselves, not a second-rate version of someone else. And just because it's on a bumper sticker does not make it true. And so, again, this is just, we've laid the groundwork. You've got to look out for any kind of imitative desire in your life. When you're, whenever you're using a model of what somebody else has to decide what you want, look for your own, your own heart in that want rather than just copying what somebody else wants. All right. So, what's so bad about mimetic desire? What's so bad about having models for what you want? We all have them and it's it is a human thing. It's not bad, you know. I was thinking about this concept when I was playing with my daughter earlier today. My daughter's 2 years old and I wanted her to read a book with me. And she didn't want to, you know. And I was like, "Come read a book with me. It'll be so fun." No, 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 no. So then I'm like, "Okay. I'm smart." I'm smarter than the two-year-old. I'm going to use mimetic desire. And uh, so I pick up the book and I, my wife's there and I'm like, wow, look at this book. Look at these shapes. I, have you ever seen a triangle like this? You know, my daughter's there in two seconds. You know, get out of the way, mommy. I need to see that book, right? Because it's a, it's a natural human thing and that's how we learn. I don't think I'm a bad guy for doing that. You know, I'm not manip- I'm not a master manipulator like the, you know, the bot masters of Facebook or anything like that. I'm trying to model that reading is good for my daughter and I know she looks up to me and if we have things she thinks that's cool and she'll want them. So, that's not- nothing's bad about that. But say for example, she had a sister and we were I was spending time with her sister and my, you know, she was so set competitively on I must be number one that she undermined her sister or, you know, pushed her out of the way or something. We would have to say, no, you know, uh, that's not exactly what you want. That's your mimetic desire taking you into the realm of obsession and taking you too far. Let's reconnect with what you really want, which is to be loved, you know, by your parent or by whoever. And that's, that's okay. We can all, we can all accommodate everybody's needs there. That's really the main process. 
But where it goes wrong is when somebody gets hurt. And in that's a, a harmless example from everybody's childhood. But the social network depicts it at such a higher level. And it's unnerving because these are people that run Facebook. So they run our lives. Like they run the way we relate to each other and the way we think. But they barely understand themselves. I mean, in this movie. It's a dramatized tale to be sure, but a powerful one. And so, like I said, uh, and I was specific when I said Eduardo Saverin is the co-founder of Facebook, but that is the bone of contention in the lawsuit that this movie is about because there's a new dog in town played by Justin Timberlake playing Sean Parker, who is the bad boy of Silicon Valley. He made Napster and he took on the music companies and he's so cool and he becomes Mark Zuckerberg's model of desire. Mark Zuckerberg is like, this is a cool guy. He gets all the girls. He did a cool music app. I want him to respect me. I want to be like him. But again, as depicted in this movie, I don't know much about Sean Parker, but he is like this competitive shadow side of mimetic desire incarnate. And he really is played as like a satanic slash like the kid who brings Peter Pan or Pinocchio to Treasure Island. You know, they're in the club in Silicon Valley and he really just makes a pitch to Mark Zuckerberg to just like be a jerk and to just grab that dark shadow of your desire. And it's such an interesting echo of the first clip that we listened to in that first conversation because again, Aaron Sorkin's a genius. He knows what he's doing here. It it gets back to that original mimetic desire. This is a guy who has no idea really what he, why he's doing what he's doing. He's just repeating this pattern uh, and he wreaks destruction on the company of Facebook. But that's not till later. In the meantime, that shadow side reveals itself in a competitive nature between Sean and Eduardo. And Eduardo, as the co-founder, kind of triangulates the tension inherent in any mimetic desire rivalry situation uh, especially when an aspirant is trying to be like the higher level model like Mark Zuckerberg is trying to be like Sean Parker and those tensions need a scapegoat and that that aggression that nobody wants to talk about of I must be the number one but I know you think you must be the number one and what do we do with that it gets sublimated and it comes out and somebody gets scapegoated and Rene Girard took this back. He has a book called Things Hidden Since the Foundation of the World. He says this is basically like a, a meta myth of the progression from Judeo to Judeo-Christian culture with, of course, Jesus being the scapegoat. But you don't need to be a Christian to see the power of this idea. You just need to watch the social network. So let's listen to Sean Parker sort of introduce himself and I, I, this is a family podcast. It's a clean podcast. We don't have profanity, but I have a bleeped word here or a, a muted word, and it's the B word. And it's not being used to refer to women, but it is being used to say, to hold up a model of utter dominance, vanquishing your enemies. And yes, just like in that first conversation, becoming a model of desire that you think your romantic interests, women, will be interested in so again the script is so good it's all right here so let's give a listen to the pitch for being a jerk from justin timberlake and then we'll come back and talk about our second success movie memento which is that six systems need scapegoats my name is justin timberlake and 
dates a Victoria's Secret model. That's why she looks familiar to you. God, don't be impressed by all this. I read your blog. Oh, oh, you know, no, that was for web creams. Oh, you know why I started Napster? The girl I loved in high school was with the co-captain of the varsity lacrosse team, and I wanted to take her from him. So I decided to come up with the next big thing. I didn't know that. Napster wasn't a failure. I changed the music industry for better and for always. It may not have been good business, but it pissed a lot of people off. And isn't that what your face mash was about? They're scared of me, pal, and they're gonna be scared of you. What the VCs wanted to say, good idea, kid. Grown-ups will take it from here, but not this time. This is our time. This time, you're gonna, you're gonna hand them a business card that says, I'm CEO. That's what I want for you. So where the hell is Eduardo? Okay, so it's all right there, you know. I'm I'm he he sets out the model. I'm CEO and that's not enough. I'm CEO and you're not. I'm CEO and I can call you a bad word because I'm the top dog. And you know, we've got it all the way back to high school and the captain of the lacrosse team. Uh, and really, you know, at some point, you just got to deal with it. We all went to high school. We weren't all the captain of the lacrosse team. It, it's just life. But, you know, you got to know why you're founding your software company. And I think that's where Sean Parker's character is such a good illustration. He doesn't, like, grapple with that at all. He's just go, 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 forward, forward, forward. And that's why I love that the transition line, the last line of the speech, is not, I'm CEO B, you know, that's what I want for you. It's where's Eduardo? Because that is what that competitive nature needs. He's already looking for that scapegoat. And so to fast forward a little bit, in the movie, they actually depict Peter Thiel and as, you know, making his angel investment. And I can't clip it because there's no real dialogue to focus on. It's a visual thing more. But Peter Thiel, when he's going over the papers and he's like, we're going to restructure the company, da, 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 da. Uh, he's like, OK, who's this Eduardo guy? And you see Justin Timberlake in the background, like in a shadow looking out the window and he just like very slowly turns his head and it's like the predator is ready to pounce. And he does it through Peter Thiel's paperwork. So the movie doesn't really villainize Peter Thiel. Uh, plenty of people have done that since the movie came out. Uh, but it does show how when you, you can delude yourself into thinking you're doing something for the company, but you're really doing it for darker psychological personal reasons that you don't want to admit. So, you know, Sean Parker advises Mark Zuckerberg to make a move on Eduardo uh, by getting him to sign paperwork through the restructuring that allows his influence to be diluted and eventually basically wiped out to the point where he may not be viewed as a co-founder. And that is the litigation or the, the dramatized part of it. And spoiler alert, he is now listed as a co-founder uh, as part of that settlement agreement. So let's get to the heart of it. And I love this line of dialogue because it is true to life and it, it really lets us as viewers take a step back 
and realize we're watching an argument. This is not necessarily the facts because we don't even get to hear the question that's being posed. We get to hear someone talking about it and then they discuss it, which I think is an interesting theme for this movie. You know, who's posing the questions of this movie? Who's pulling the strings? How can we apply that to ourselves? Well, a good start is by learning how to want what we actually want so that we don't end up in a sick system that can't deal with these kinds of tensions when we go into overdrive and ends up scapegoating people as a result. So let's listen to what that sounds like in the world of the social network. Let's hear from Eduardo and his take on uh, his, his ousting of Facebook. Eduardo? Eduardo? Can you please repeat the question? No, it was an outrageously leading question the first time around, and now you want us to hear it twice? Yes, would you read it back, please? Well, go ahead. Counsel, and when you signed these documents, were you aware that you were signing your own death certificate? No. It was insanely stupid of me not to have my own lawyers look over all the... In, in, in all honesty, I thought they were my lawyers. I was your only friend. Yet one friend. My father won't even look at okay. me. Wow. I just What a great quote. Eduardo played by... It's either... Wow. Is it... Andrew Garfield. I was about to say James Garfield. That would have been embarrassing. Um, but it, it really, the whole scapegoat mythos is here. You know, it's got to, the betrayal comes from within, uh, of somebody within the system. And, you know, you've got the reference, I think a biblical reference, you know, Jesus on the cross saying, my father has forsaken me. Eduardo's father won't even look at him because he has been cast out of this whole world of, uh, you know, it's a male world of competitive hierarchy because he just wanted to do his own thing. All he did, he traded oil futures because he liked reading the weather and then he was good at math and he did the algorithm. He wasn't, you know, trying to get the girls or anything like that. He just wanted to help out his friend. And that's my thesis of this movie. I think Sean Parker's character, you know, as depicted in the movie, realized that. And that's really what made Eduardo special, was that he was doing what Erica said in our first clip. He was being the best version of himself, and as a result, success was coming to him. But in a, a sick system that says you must be the best and vanquish people to prove it, uh, that's not okay. You can't last there. You will get ousted just because you're being yourself. And people will paint a picture of you based on their own warped desire. And they won't understand why you drive them crazy. And it's because you have what they want, but they don't know that they want it. Because it's you, the ability to be yourself. Uh, I'm telling you, as an employment attorney, I saw it happen all the time. I did the kind of, I never litigated, you know, Facebook disputes, but I did this kind of litigation all the time. Uh, and it really is, uh, it always comes down to these kinds of dark forces and people's inability or unwillingness to grapple with them. And so, you know, that brings me to our final success movie, Memento. And uh, again, this clip is not really like the most famous line of dialogue from the movie, but it really drives home what happens if you don't listen to our third success movie, Memento, which is to watch how you want you have to watch how you want things. And the converse of that is you have to watch yourself when you're disappointed when you get what you want. 
Why is that? Some people will tell you that's the human condition and we're always meant to see another horizon. And I believe that. But there's something, you know, where you you get to the moment and you can't even savor it and you, you're not happy with it. It doesn't feel good. You don't feel good about the version of you that wanted the thing that you now have and what it says about you. That's what you have to watch too. So when you feel the mimetic desire enter your heart, you have to watch it. But if you don't catch it, it may reveal itself in the aftermath in your feelings of disappointment or I can do better than this or I, I don't think I actually wanted this. Why did I chase it so hard? And so, again, the movie so brilliantly depicts this uh, at the end of the movie, right after Eduardo's been ousted, Facebook is about to hit a, a major milestone, like a million view, uh, users, 10 million users, something like that. And they're going to have a huge party. And again, remember, I, my thesis of this movie is that by the end, these are still people who don't know how to want. They're not watching themselves wanting things. And it's still a competitive, a too competitive hierarchy, too focused on dominance and not on more transcendent values. And as a result, you know, the very thing you're chasing, you reduce it. So these guys just wanted to get the girls, but really it, the, the women end up as a fulcrum in this weird battle. And this happens all the time. I don't have to tell you the headlines of what's come out of Silicon Valley and the Me Too era to see how this happens. Um, so let's listen again. This movie was so prescient. It's as if it came out last year. Uh, but let's let's listen to this final conflict play out. So the scapegoat's gone. What do you do then when you're grappling with the hollowness of chasing somebody else's model of desire rather than figuring out who you are and how you want to be in this world? Let's listen to that play out as Mark realizes that it doesn't feel good to betray your best friend. And it wasn't just business. It wasn't that Eduardo was outmatched as the company was growing. This was an act of aggression and it doesn't feel good to Mark. And so that's, that's your first moment where you might be able to see something, but that's my point. You've got to seize those moments and sit down with those hard feelings. And the genius of this movie is, I don't know what the answer is for Mark. I don't know where he ends up. And we'll talk about that in a second, but let's listen to our last clip to, to bring it home. You're right. You're kind of rough on him. That's life in the NFL. You know you didn't have to be that rough on him. Listen, I'm putting Sean. another clip. You didn't have to be that rough on him. He almost killed it. I'll send flowers. Speaking of flowers, I'm putting together a party after the party at Kappa Eta Sigma. Ashley's a sister. Ashley? The intern. Yeah. I know who she is. Are you guys... Ashley? Me? No. Well, a little bit. Why? No, Excuse me, Mark. Just, we were just talking about you. Just that you're doing a really good job. Thanks. I appreciate that. Uh, these came in for you. Just put them on my desk. What's the package? Nothing. Okay, so here's the key to this clip. What's in the package? Mark's got it all. What's in the package? He's got the sorority girl who's his intern. He's the CEO and she's handing him, you know, the kind of girl that would have gone on a party bus to go to the, the finals clubs at Harvard, wouldn't have given Mark the time of day. 
is now handing him his trophy, which is a box of business cards that has that phrase, I'm C, you know, CEO, comma, B word. But it's hollow. And that's what I love about this clip is the mimetic desire returns immediately. The scapegoat doesn't save the system. It just reveals it so that you can change it or get out. And so Mark is grappling with this. He's got his business card. It's been handed by, you know, the, the kind of women that he's decided are evaluation for his worth as a human being. But he doesn't feel dominant because he knows it's hollow. And you see with Sean, he doesn't even care about Ashley, really, it seems, until he thinks that Mark might be. And then he gets hit with mimetic desire. And he's like, well, uh, well a little bit, you know. And then Mark is defeated again. And he's not really the top guy because he's not being the best version of himself. And so we can't really clip the end of this movie because it ends silently. But as the litigation framing story is wrapping up, uh, a young female attorney uh, played by Rashida Jones tells him, you're not, she, she uses a, a profane word, but uh, she says, you're not a jerk, but you're trying so hard to be. And it echoes something that his, Mark's girlfriend told him in the beginning, which is you're going to become a successful computer person and you'll think girls won't like you because you're a nerd, but it really is because you're a jerk. Uh, and so there's these conflicting messages like, am I a jerk or not? I mean, he's acted like one and he's in a system that is going to incentivize him to do it more. And so he does the most enigmatic thing. He gets on Facebook and he sends a friend request to his old girlfriend. After this other woman turns him down for dinner and says, you're not a jerk, he sends a friend request to the last person that said he was a jerk. And so I'm like, does he want confirmation that he's a jerk or that he's not, you know? And he's just sitting there silently refreshing his laptop with his arms crossed. And it's like, to me, it's a, a gray area, like a neutral note at best, which is why I like this movie, because the ending is something you think about forever. But it's like, is there hope for Mark Zuckerberg as depicted here? Not if all he's doing is hitting refresh, but if while he's sitting there, he's like, why am I doing this? Why am I doing the same thing over and over again? Do I actually want this? You know? Uh, I think then that could be a glimmer of hope. And I, you know, I do think Facebook has tried to do good things, and they have. Uh, and one of those is bringing in Sheryl Sandberg, who just retired. And she really made a lot of strides. I personally know women who said they read Lean In and it changed their lives literally. Like, I know them. They moved cities for new jobs because of, of their application of the advice in Lean In. And I can't take that away from anybody. But there's a great article in The Atlantic this week online by Caitlin Flanagan about kind of the, you know, the questions that weren't really getting asked right away. But really, you know, Sheryl Sandberg's whole thing is like, you can't beat the boys club uh, or, you know, you you can beat them, but it, by being better at them, better than the boys club at that kind of stuff. So basically like get in the C-suite. And, you know, the writer Caitlin Flanagan's point was like, you know, there may be more to life. There's a lot of people excluded by that message and there that that whole message of like, that's the pinnacle of success. Maybe it's not exactly what we should be taking. 
And so, I, again, I just found that such an interesting point. She didn't refer to mimetic desire, but that's really what she's getting at. Is just because it was right for Sheryl Sandberg or somebody else doesn't mean it's right for you. And that's where we can use mimetic desire positively to say, what do I admire about Sheryl Sandberg? What do I admire about Sean Parker? What do I admire about Mark Zuckerberg or whoever your models for your desires are? But ask yourself why. And if it's because this guy's really cool and wears cool suits and gets all the girls... And eh, maybe rethink that if it's because, you know, I really admire how hard he worked on his software company and it does seem to have changed the world uh, in many positive ways. And I'd like to do that. And maybe uh, I'd like to show my ex-girlfriend from high school that I can do those kinds of things. But I'm aware of that. So I'm not going to harass the interns. You know, that's a step in the right direction. And that's why I think the movie ultimately hints at pessimism, because at least Sean uh, really late, is later revealed the very thing he said Eduardo was going to do, maybe kill the company, he ends up maybe doing by getting busted at a party with underage people, including the intern, and drugs and alcohol. And uh, it's because he's just chasing this model of being the coolest guy. And, uh, you know, as the movie depicts it, he, he needs to sit down. So I think Mark has more hope than Sean in the movie, but... Uh, really the only hope for any of us is when you get those moments of despair and you're like, I'm hitting refresh on this thing that doesn't work. That's when you've got to sit and ask yourself why the movie leaves it open. History's left it open. It's, it's uh, you know, like the theme song from the Hills, the rest is still unwritten, but you've got to look at how you got to where you, you ended up when you find yourself in those positions. And in my opinion, more times than not, mimetic desire is going to help you understand that. So I hope this was helpful this week, folks. Uh, we've got another great movie for you next week. We're going to continue our discussion on the future of work with uh, Michael Clayton, a movie about lawyers at work and other people near and dear to my heart. So uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for stopping by. Bye. That's a wrap. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review and tell your friends. This has been a success podcast. Head to success.com slash podcast to hear more just like it.